In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. John Muir. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I can. Hello, faithful fathers, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brad Etheridge, thrilled to be with you always, and thrilled to welcome back Perry Hughes, co-host of the podcast. Perry, how's your week been? I, uh, I understand you went camping last weekend. Is that right with your family? Well, yes and no, Brad. I'm happy to be back. We had camping on the agenda. However, in a in a unexpected turn of events, my wife and I collaborated to decide that we were not going camping in order to teach our children a valuable lesson about following instructions and getting things done, preps, you know. My wife and I were at a business conference last week. My kids stayed with her parents when we came back. Uh, we picked them up that next morning and on the ride home from the grandparents' house, Mimi and Pop is what they call them. On the ride home from Mimi and Pop's house, Nancy was chit-chatting with them. Hey, we're going camping. We're going to do this. So when we get home, here's the marching orders. You know, Seth and Ruby, y'all are going to clean out the chicken coop. JP and Liam, y'all are going to weed eat. We're, everybody's going to clean their room. We're going to pack our stuff. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody got it, got it. And the kids are like, yeah, yeah, solid. Good. We're good. Got home. What'd they do? None of it. <laughs> I mean, they just wandered around the house. They went into the pantry. They ate some food. I mean, they basically were doing jack squat. And so Nancy came up to me and she's like, hey, the kids aren't doing anything of like what I asked them. You know, what are we going to do? And I'm, I don't know, you know. And she's like, I think we should not go camping. And I'm like, so disappointed because, man, I, I need a little camping trip. Yeah, you know? you're looking forward to it like, all I week. Need, yes, I need to get out in the woods. We've been grinding, you know. But uh, her – her intuition was right, as very often it is. Men, uh, I encourage you to to let your wives call some shots. You know, like don't be so so convinced that you're the leader and the authority that you can't let your wife lead you. Sometimes it's good to let her lead you. She knows some stuff. You know. So anyway, she had that idea. I I you know marinated on it, prayed about it a little bit. Felt like that was a solid plan. So we didn't go camping. We told the kids they were super disappointed. But we said, look, you know, when 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 one of us gives you some instructions, this isn't like a, hey, do what you think kind of situation. You know, this is a, these are the instructions. Let's move with intentionality and get some things done. So we basically stayed at home and cleaned our house and cleaned up the property and did a bunch of stuff that we've been neglecting doing around the home front because we've been so busy getting the, you know, the business moved into this new location. So it turned out to be a very productive weekend, but it was not the weekend that I had been anticipating and looking forward to. <laughs> well, here's what I love about this podcast is hearing real stories like that and realizing that, wow, like my kids aren't the only ones. <laughs> like our our families aren't the only ones experiencing the exact same issues and frustrations. Guys, it's so easy sometimes to to look at other other men, other fathers that you sort of esteem and just assume that everything is perfect in their families and they have these perfect little soldier kids who always do the right thing. And that's just yeah. not always the case. It's that front stage image, that Facebook family, that Instagram family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're not like clicking pictures of the knockdown drag outs, you know, and posting them on Instagram. Everybody's posting like they're a one stage front. And that's not real. That's not the whole picture. There's a backstage, you know, to everybody's lives where things are messy and the kids don't obey and it's a learning, you know, process. Um, so yeah, that's a little, that's a little glimpse into our backstage, but 
I think it's a valuable lesson to hold our kids to the accountability of that line of, listen, we are your parents. We give you an instruction. That doesn't mean you can't question it. You know, we welcome our kids questioning things. That's a good, we want them doing that. But I think we would be doing our kids a great disservice if we did not expect them to toe the line because we have a heavenly father that often calls us to do things that we don't really want to do. Um, And so I think it's our job, one of our jobs as parents, as fathers, to begin to train our kids to obedience, you know, and the reason we train them to obedience is not because we want little robots doing everything we say, because I said so, but it's because we want to train them to be uh, soft and moldable and attentive to the direction of the Holy Spirit and to the direction of the scripture and to, you know, God, God, the father leading their lives in a direction that they can begin to form those muscles of obedience. You know, they're training, they're learning that through their childhood so that when they become an adult and God asks them to do something scary or something they don't really want to do, uh, they can do it, you know? And there will be seasons in their life where they have more freedom, where they don't have to do what we say, but they need to be prepared for that. And they need to know how to make good decisions. And they have to understand that there are consequences to actions. And so it's important that we play that role in the formative years so that they grow into to good men and uh, of good character and, and know how to lead good lives. So awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I hate that you missed out on some camping, but just two weeks ago, you did get out in the woods with Seth and we hiked, we climbed Mount LeConte here in East Tennessee. And so that's actually what we're going to be doing here on this episode is we sort of want to debrief that and share some lessons that I think came from that experience that are directly applicable to, to the growth of our, of our children, in our case, our younger boys, but really lessons that I think apply to any stage of parenting, fathering, our children. So we are going to turn to that, I promise, here in just a few minutes. Usually we start each episode with small wins from the week. This week, something happened that I just want to share with you guys. It's something that has sort of been on my heart, and I wanted to sort of get Perry's initial thoughts on it. We're not going to talk long on it, but instead of doing the small wins, I just wanted to share something that happened last week. I took uh, my youngest, Declan, to the park, as I usually do on Tuesdays and Thursdays, because he is only in school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He's only three years old. Um, and I love that time with him. It's a lot of one-on-one time, and we go to the park. And and so I was there at the park, uh, and there were these two older boys on the swings. And I don't know, if now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if they were playing hooky from school or what. Uh, oh, no, actually, sorry. It was after school. So irrelevant but it was it was after school so that that's fine that they were there but these were probably mid teenagers if i had to put an age i'd say 15 16 maybe even and they were on the swings and i was pushing my son's son on the swing and and they're just sort of talking and blah 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 and the one guy was sort of ribbing his friend and almost giving him a hard time for having so much fun on the swings like dude like you're a teenager. What are, what are you doing swinging? Why are you swinging on the swings and having so much joy on the swings or whatever? And here's how he responded. He said, you got to remember, I spent my entire childhood being beaten by my dad. Golly. And they both laughed. Ha, 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 ha. And the other guy said, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, like, of course, that was the situation. Right. And. Man, my heart just 
just yeah, sank wrote. to hear that. And it was just a reminder that as we're talking about being faithful fathers and being good fathers and striving and trying to be the best fathers we can for our kids, there's so many people out there who did not have fathers worthy of emulating or who spent time with them or, God forbid, actually beat them, abused them physically, emotionally, verbally. And so I wanted to share that, but I also wanted to ask, what do you do in a situation like that? So for me, I felt like, man, I wanted to reach out. Like, how can I help that guy? How can I nurture him? Does he need my help? Does he need need my nurturing? Yeah. I prayed in my spirit. That's the first thing I did. Just threw out a quick prayer for him. And then the second thought I had was, man, I wish I had a copy of Father by God. I would just literally go to my car and give it to him. Yes. Um, and so I'm actually going to do oh, that. Please, that's good. Yeah, I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to order a handful of copies just to have in my car. My mom, my mom always used to have us and still does this with her grandchildren, my kids, and, and they love doing it with her, making homeless bags, uh, pre-preparing some bags of food and toothbrushes and water and things so that when you encounter a homeless person, you don't just give them money or should I give them money or not give them money? You just reach and grab them a homeless bag. Uh, so I love that. I, I need to do that with my kids, actually. File that away. We, we did that, too. We had them kept. This has been a few years ago, a few car, a few vehicles ago, but we would keep them in the car. And that way you're driving around. You see somebody on the corner of the street, you know, asking for money. And like you said, you just reach in there and give them the bag. And, and I, that's a great reminder. I'd like to get back to keeping those stocked in our vehicles again. And then also in my old we moved locations, but in my old office, I would keep on my bookshelf copies of books that um, were, have been valuable to me over the years, you know, different books that have really impacted my life, keep two or three copies of each book. And um, at my business, oftentimes I'm talking with a parent or someone that, you know, a staff member, anybody who's going through something where I think this book might be a real asset to their life. And I just give them a copy of the book, you know, um, one of the, one of my favorite ones to give out to parents is um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know if you've experienced that version of a kid's Bible. It's hands down my favorite kid's Bible we've had. We've looked through dozens of kid's Bibles, and that's the one that I always reach to. But anyway, um, yeah, keeping a copy of the Father by God book in the vehicle is an awesome idea. I'm stoked on that. I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, and I don't know how many other times in my life I'm going to going to overhear a conversation like that, but there are a lot of times that I am having conversations with other fathers and having a copy of the book to hand them would be pretty great. But what am I missing? I mean, is is it our place? And maybe this is too, you know, too in-depth of a conversation. We can do a, a different episode on this, but am I supposed to say anything to that kid? Am I supposed to go literally pray for him? I mean, he was kind of joking, but you can tell it wasn't a joke. I mean, it was real. It happened in his childhood. Like, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. First thing to do is pray. You know, oftentimes I'm quick to talk or quick to jump in or quick to do whatever I think is the appropriate thing. And so I think it's a home run to say, I, I, in my spirit, I just prayed real quick, you know, and I think we ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct us and lead us on what to do in that situation. Uh, but I do think it's, you know, maybe uh, perfectly relevant and appropriate to say to a kid, hey, man, I just happened to overhear your conversation. Wanted to let you know, uh, you know, I'm praying for you. And uh, I'm, you know, really sorry to hear that you had that type of experience yeah. growing up. You know, that's something that is a tragedy. And I hate to hear that you went through that. You know, and maybe it's just some kind of simple, empathetic validation. And then if they are open to more dialogue, then it might develop into, hey, let me tell you about this book that I just read and it's really helped me a lot. Or, hey, let me tell you about this 
podcast, there's a couple guys on there that I know that are pretty cool dudes and you might enjoy it, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, but I think just a simple prayer and then a comment of validation and empathy and those kids, you know, they're teenagers and, and they were laughing about it. So that's obviously the way that they were trying to deal with a very serious matter of, you know, topic. They're kind of laughing about it to brush it off. You know, obviously, um, there's still probably some healing to be done in that, I would guess, right? You know, because um, that's, they're making light of something that is very heavy, <laughs> you know, which is a natural thing to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, if if you guys, the listeners, have any thoughts, we, we certainly welcome that. Reach out to us on social media, faithfulfatherhood2015 at gmail.com. Uh, you know, we, we'd love to hear from you guys as you're processing some of this stuff as well. Maybe you've had similar things happen in your own experience and you handled it differently. We'd love to hear that as well. All right. So with that, let's transition a little bit and talk about... Mount LeCant. So, I don't know, a handful of episodes ago, when we talked about the cowboy, the cowboy stage of the masculine journey, I suggested that I had on the calendar for this fall a trip, a hiking trip with my older boys to sort of test them and to have adventure. And we were going to climb Mount LeCant. And I just, I reached out, I said, Perry, hey, you want to join us? And he wasn't going to be able to because his son, it was his birthday. And so, hey, just not going to work out. But then some things open up. Perry made a priority. He was able to join us as well, so we had a blast doing that. So he he came and hiked Mount LeCant with uh, his third born, Seth, and then another buddy of mine here in Knoxville. He brought two of his older boys, and we and so it was a group of us that hiked Mount LeCant, and it was awesome. So it was one of those picture perfect fall days. The leaves were changing. It's the Smoky Mountains. You know, we're we're on the trail by seven thirty in the morning, which here in East Tennessee, with the time change, it's not even light yet. So we got headlamps on and then the sun comes up and everybody's hot and they're shedding clothes. And anyway, we spend the next several hours climbing to the summit of Mount LeCant, which, you know, I say summit and it's only 6,500-ish feet. So 6,593 feet to be exact. Certainly not the tallest mountain I've ever climbed, but certainly the highest point my boys have ever been to and the longest hike they had ever been on. And so the idea was, hey, let's Let's put them in a position to possibly answer the question, do I have what it takes? And so there were several lessons and several things that happened on the trip that I want to talk about and unpack and discuss. But I think the very first one, Perry, is that was really sort of my goal and intention with the trip. And I have some perspective on that, but I want to hear your I want to hear your thoughts. You know, was it the longest hike Seth had ever been on? And and do you think he was able to answer that question in a favorable way? Sure. Yeah. So absolutely. It was, it was hands down the longest hike he's ever done. I think prior to that. So it was, I think we calculated 11 miles total round trip when we got done because it's five up to the summit. And then we did like a little half a mile side trip out to an overlook and back, you know, so we're about 11 miles, which I looked on my health app on the phone and it was like 33,000 steps. Um, and there's a significant elevation change as well too. So it wasn't just flat hiking. It was mostly climbing and some of it was steep and some of it was moderate. Uh, but previously the longest hike he'd ever done was, I would say, you know, probably more like the seven mile range. And, but that was a different animal. We did a slot Canyon in Utah and it was very, it was dead of summer, you know, well, I guess it was spring, but it was very hot, you know, 90 degree temps and out in the baking, you know, high desert. So it was a different environment, a different feel than, you know, Appalachian Blue Ridge mountain, 
uh, hike. Uh, but it was definitely the biggest. And it's fun because when I approached him about going on the trip with everybody, uh, I, I reminded him that he's told me in the past his favorite hiking ever was that big hike we did in Utah. Hardest hike. I mean, it was very challenging. Everybody was super hot, exhausted, fatigued, etc. And he said, oh, man, that was my favorite hike ever. And so when I presented it to him, I said, hey, Seth, this hike is even longer bigger, you know, more elevation change, more challenging than this other hike that was your, that's your favorite hike. And he immediately, his eyes lit up and he's, yes, dad, I want to go. Let's do it. You know? And he was actually going to be missing out on a birthday party for one of our staff members with a couple of his really close buddies, some of his really close friends. We're going to be hanging out with them all evening that Saturday. Uh, so he was forfeiting a fun event at, at this party with some friends in order to come on this hike and answer the call. Do I have what it takes? And it was very exciting to see him lean into that and to see him lay down what normally would be a highlight for him in exchange for doing this really hard hike. Um, so yeah, it was great. And there were definitely some times, you know, where I think each of the boys uh, had to push through that mental, when you get to that mental wall of this is too much for me, but let's keep going. And so I think that is, that's the dance, right? Is um, to be able to put kids in the situation where they're pushed past their limitations, but it's not so far past their limitations that it breaks them. Exactly. So I, I think it was a great balance and it really met that need pretty well. I, I may have over set the expectation that it was going to be hard when I talked to my boys about it because Jackson's sort of immediate knee-jerk reaction afterwards. So after we go all the way up, all the way back, we're in the car. Fatigue hadn't quite set in. I mean, they were maybe a little tired, but like it wasn't like later in the day when it had fully hit them and they were exhausted and ready for bed. You know, Jackson's reaction was sort of, well, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, And so I think there's also value in that. So on the one hand, you know, I think in my mind, I was thinking, oh man, like this is going to be hard. They're going to get halfway up and want to quit. And we're going to make them, you know, muddle through and push to the top and they're going to have blisters and they're going to, you know, and I, I think in my mind, I was thinking, sure. man, this is going to be a real stretch for them. And, and it wasn't, at least for Jackson, Jackson, I think was the oldest of all the boys on the trip. He's closer to 13 now. And so for him, maybe it wasn't, as strenuous as it was for our 11-year-olds. But I also think in reflecting on it that there's actually value in that as well, is setting somebody up for the expectation of difficult. And then when they meet or even exceed it, they realize they're capable of more than they realized they were capable of. So I think, yeah, so Jackson, I think, was actually proud of himself and encouraged that, hey, dad said this was going to be hard. Yeah, it was a long hike. I'm tired, but I can do that. That's right. And I think too, that's such a great life lesson. And I would say if you haven't unpacked that to this depth yet with him, I would encourage you to make some time to do it in the future. But it's such a parallel to life. Even as men, we have something that's difficult on the horizon or anticipating. Maybe it's, you know, uh, a difficult conversation with our wife. Maybe it's a difficult conversation with an employee or a subordinate at work, or maybe it's a difficult conversation with a supervisor, you know, maybe there's something that has to get done 
on the horizon that you're planning for. Uh, and it's built up really large in your mind, you know? And so I have found in my personal experience of business ownership and leadership for almost 20 years that sometimes the anticipation is actually worse than the actual event. And so, you know, I've learned over time to go, well, okay, this seems like a big deal thing. I'm not going to just keep uh, stressing about it in my mind. I'm going to make my plan, make my agenda, set that to the side. And then once I have that hard meeting, it's done. It's easy. And when you're in the moment, you're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I think there's a great opportunity for us to begin to highlight that or, you know, unpack it, so to speak, with our sons. Because for me, I had to learn that through experience. And so I think if we can frame that for our kids and go, hey, you know, you thought this hike was going to be super hard and it really wasn't that bad for you. You know, life's a lot like that, too. And then I think we can share some things in our own personal experience um, that that also mirrors that. And our kids can begin to learn that from us. They don't have to wait till they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s, you know, having an anticipation of hard meetings or whatever it is to learn that. They can begin to learn it now, you know. And what's cool is they've made a deposit in their bank, so to speak. Every time we have one of those experiences where we get to an experience that we thought was going to be challenging, we rise to meet the occasion, and maybe it wasn't as hard as we were expecting. It's something we can pull on in, in life, as you suggested. Our kids don't have as many of those in the bank as we have. And so this is one of those deposits. And And yeah, it's our job to instruct them to draw those connections that they may not connect at this point in their lives. But man, it's it's going to forever be something that they can draw on. Remember when I was 12? Remember when I was 13 and I climbed Mount Lacan? And it's funny. So one other quick story before I transition to the next topic, the two other boys that, we, that were with us, uh, Oak and Kendall, KK, uh, my other buddy's two boys, Oak was Oak was funny, man. He's 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 a handful. He he uh, he's got this like raspy, deep voice, high energy, you know, talking about all sorts of things. And you know, and we started the trip, and he was like, "Man, the only reason I'm here is because I want to be able to say I climbed Mount Lacan," you know. And he was just forthright and honest about it. But but there's a lot of truth in that. Like he'll always now be able to say and remember the first time he climbed Mount Lacan, and he can say he did it. And then you know, his dad was coaching him through ideas around, well, why don't you enjoy the experience? And why don't you look around a little bit and take in the, take in nature and take in the experience. It's not just about accomplishing the goal, you know? And so that was there. No, he was like, no, I'm just doing it to, I just, I just want the medal, dad. I just want the medal. Um, so that, that was funny, but he also, he's, he's just so funny. He, he just, he sort of narrated the whole experience and was just totally open about the emotions he was feeling and experience. And at one point, he sort of slipped back in line, like he was up in the front and he sort of slipped back next to me. He goes, Brett, he goes, man, I was not ready for this mentally. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just so aware. He's like, I think I could do it. Like my body is okay, but like mentally, I didn't know it was going to be like this, you know? And so maybe his dad went to the opposite extreme and didn't set the expectation of difficult like I had with my boys, whatever it was. I just thought that was so funny. But then what a cool experience to push through, hit the summit, you know, get down to the bottom and, uh, and, and always have that life lesson to, to draw on. So that was, that was a lot of fun. For sure. And as we transition, I also want to talk about this idea of what I call positive peer pressure. Yeah. Because I saw a lot of that 
on the hike as well in witnessing the interaction among the boys. And and Ben, he didn't admit that he was getting tired, but about two thirds of the way up, he started regularly asking me how much further, like, like how much longer, dad? Like, are we getting close? Like ask Perry, does Perry have a GPS? Like how close are we? And um, he wouldn't have been asking those questions if he weren't ready to get to the top, right? That's right. But he didn't want to let on. And he didn't, you know, he didn't want to let the other boys know that maybe he was struggling because he looks at them and they're not struggling. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But but there's that positive peer pressure of wanting to to rise to the occasion, to do what other boys are doing. There was another there was another moment that I absolutely loved where we were on our way back down and we got to this this cave area with with a sort of steep the steep decline of really just sort of rocks and dirt and and Seth, so Perry, your boy, man, he just his natural instinct was, I'm gonna slide down this thing. I'm gonna surf it like a surfboard and I'm just gonna ride this thing down. Well, he just did it naturally, confidently. It was just a fun thing for him to do. Ben, that never would have crossed his mind, but he looked over and I saw his eyes get huge. And yeah. he goes, I want to do that. You know, That's awesome. yeah. and so he then followed, he wanted to follow Seth and he was more tentative and he sort of fell on his butt and sort of scooted down, but then he wanted to do it again. I want to do it better. I want to do it faster. I, but he was emulating in a positive way, sort of this peer pressure of what he was seeing around him. Other boys, his age doing things that he had never thought of or wasn't, didn't know he was capable of, but wanted to test himself in that way. There were moments where, you know, we'd be hiking along the trail and they would look up and there'd be the steep incline up into the rocks. And one of the boys would say, I'm going to go see if I can do that. Like Jackson will scamper up to the thing. And now all the other boys want to scamper up to the top of that thing. And and so that was just a really cool thing to witness and yeah. to realize, man, there's so much peer pressure that these boys are about to enter into, that the age of their adolescence, where there's going to be negative peer pressure for sure in certain areas. What a cool experience to put them in a situation where they experience what, again, I'm calling positive peer pressure. I don't know if that's a thing. It's probably some psychological term that uh, exists for that. But uh, but what are your thoughts on that, Perry? And, and did you witness any of that in uh, – that was pretty cool to see. It was fantastic to see. And I think the cool thing about it is, of course, all of the boys on that hike experienced moments of fatigue physically and then mentally, okay, I'm over it. But providentially, they're not all experiencing it at the same moment. Yes. And so they all go through it inside their own heads at a different time. And because of the massive group of the other boys aren't experiencing it in that exact same moment they're pulled along up towards more resiliency they're pulled along towards we're going to keep going they're pulled along towards that positive direction exactly what you're talking about the positive peer pressure and it's so cool how it works that way you know and that's the beauty of being surrounding yourself with other people that are positive influences you know and i think that is very important for us as fathers to be cued in on who our kids' friends are. Yes. We, you, you know, you can't just be oblivious to that. You need to default be engaged. You need to default be investigative, you know, on who are my kids hanging out with and what kind of influence are they having on them? Um, because there's no such thing as the absence of peer pressure, I think. It's either positive or negative. So it's vital for us as dads to be the ones that are 
investigating, filtering, making sure that we've got our kids hanging out with people that we want them to be influenced by. So yeah, I loved it. And on the hike, that's how I experienced it was noticing that the kids hit their point of fatigue, not just one single point, but they hit their moments of fatigue all at different times. And it might've been at a time where one of the other boys was at a moment of high energy and excitement. You know what I mean? And he's running up the trail and talking and blah, 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 and talking about, you know, antiques and what is this and what is that? And, and so, you know, car collection and there, you know, he's totally, his mind is running on other things. And, you know, if maybe Seth is feeling exhausted at that point, he can be pulled into the excitement of whatever they're talking about, or he can, you know, visually witness the other boys still having some energy. And so that was the neat thing for me is noticing they all experienced it, that fatigue at different times and therefore were pulled into resiliency uh, with the other boys, you know, and that was super cool to experience. It was. And I'm always about trying to, to figure out how, how, how to do things, how to nurture things, how do you nurture or harness this idea of positive peer pressure? And, and I think maybe that's it, right? I don't have a three-point list or a five-point list of here's how you do it. I think what you said is exactly right. I think it's it's being aware of it. It's being conscious of who your friend's peer group even, even is. Are they around on a day-to-day basis? Kids who are forward-moving and, and ambitious and playing sports and doing robotics club after school and hiking on the weekends? Or are they hanging around kids who are sitting in their basement playing video games all day and which situation is going to create more growth for them. And I think it's probably pretty obvious. It's not to say they should never play video games or can't play video games, but that's not an environment where they're likely to push themselves beyond their boundaries or beyond their current capabilities. And I think that's just ultimately what we're trying to do is is ask ourselves, how can I put my son, daughter in an environment this weekend this week, this season, sometime this fall, maybe this winter sometime, what's an intentional activity I can do? Who can I arrange to do something with where I just know there's likely going to be positive energy, positive movement? That's the same thing in business. I mean, you talk about being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, leadership, the people we surround ourselves with. If you're, I just went to a mastermind event last week in Nashville with my wife. And when you're a room full of people who are striving and ambitious and trying to grow their businesses and companies, and they're talking about big ideas and you're getting stuff from everybody. Well, it's the same thing for our kids. What ideas are they getting? What experiences can they have? And and how can we as fathers be be very intentional about surrounding ourselves, by the way, with friends, other fathers who are that way so that we have somebody to call up on a Friday and say, hey, you know, what are you doing this weekend? I got nothing planned. You want to go on a hike? Do you want to you go skiing this weekend? Like hang out with those people and your kids have to kind of go where you go. And, and now they're interacting with other kids in their own peer group who are part of those environments and those families doing those forward moving things as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's that, there's that concept that you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And so I think it's imperative that a, like you said, we're doing, we are intentional and aware and self-reflective about that for our own selves. And then also that we are looking into that reality for our children. And it's our job to uh, protect them, so to speak, from being stuck in the wrong peer group. Um, You know, we can't, 
we can't have our kids be surrounded by, you know, a bunch of kids that aren't what we want our kids to aspire to be and go, well, it's all good. It's going to be fine. Maybe my kid's going to influence everybody up, you know? Well, it has to be a balance that your kid has to influence kids up and then other kids have to influence your kid up. It can't be your kid pulling the weight of everybody else because those other peers are going to, they're going to pull our kids down to their level. You know, that's just the nature of reality. So, and then I think too, another point I want to hit on is where are we making sure that our family structure is that way? Is it a positive environment at home? Are we training our kids to be encouraging to each other, uplifting to each other, you know, or is it an environment at home where kids are complaining, kids are beating each other down, you know, verbally, whatever. It's not, you know, we want to, we want to train that so that our family environment is also this constant encouragement and growth and moving forwards, uh, stretching and growing in a positive way type situation as well. And I think it's personal. I don't know if you would agree to this, but that's a hard thing to do, you know, with your family, because we're all around each other so much of the time, you know, and, and oftentimes, um, the family will tend to get the, the worst side of everybody, the cranky side, the, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's an important factor in my mind as well. It is really good to hear you say that. And I think that's a dead on point. And you're right. It is challenging within your own household. Sometimes it's particularly an issue that we are dealing with right now. Our two older boys, they can be very encouraging and uplifting in certain environments. But sometimes when we're in the safety of our own home, they tear each other down. Uh, the older one tears the middle one down. And, and all I try to do is just take those words, take that situation captive and spin it. And all I can do is say, Hey, is that uplifting? Do you think that's making your brother feel good? That's a question I ask all the time. How do you think that's making him feel? Do you think he feels good about himself right now? Yeah. No. Right. What What's a way that maybe you can help him realize he is capable of that? Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, he's not getting this math thing right now. How do you think you can maybe help him get better at math rather yeah. than tell him he's no good at math or, or whatever? And so it's just, it's just being aware. It's recognizing it and then asking questions to get them to realize how would I feel if he were treating me that way? Which, by the way, it goes both ways. Both boys, they're just in a season where they're, and it could stem from competition, you know, wanting to, wanting to elevate themselves. But it's just an important lesson to teach them that you don't elevate yourself by tearing somebody else down. That's weak. That's weakness. Uh, bullies do that. Uh, lose, losers do that. That's what your friends at school who are bullying people doing. It really reflects their lack of self confidence. It says more about them than about you. That's a conversation. Obviously, I'm always having with my kids. But by the way, you're exhibiting that same behavior to your brother. Do you want to be yeah. like that bully that you were complaining to me about at school? You're no better than him right now. You know, right. and, and I'll point that out. I'll say, literally, Jackson, you are absolutely no different in this moment than the person you were complaining to me about last week. How can you be better? How can you build yeah. your brother up? Yeah. Building your brother up doesn't diminish you. You're That's just right. raising it your brother. It actually elevates. It actually elevates. It actually you. elevates. My opinion is that authentic leadership raises up other leaders uh, you know authentic amazingness helps other people be amazing you know we it's a it's a sign of greatness to someone who can elevate others you know and i think that we can begin to instill that idea into our kids because that's god's measurement for success the world would say different you know push everybody else down to help you get to the top but I believe that the the best path to the top is by lifting others. And in in 
empowering and lifting and enabling others to be successful. That's what the true measure of success is in anybody's lives, you know? So yeah, I think it's like, you're, you're talking about identifying it. And I think too, a lot of dads probably need to hear this, have some grace with your kids. You know, they don't, they're not supposed to have it all figured out. (laughs) I'm 43 years old. I don't have much figured out. You know, I'm still working on it. And these, we're talking about 10 year olds, nine year olds, five year olds, 11 year olds, 15 year olds, whatever. They don't have it figured out. So we need to expect them to screw it up and be gracious enough to have compassion on them and, and teach them the way in that process. You know, I think for me, so often my frustration comes because I have an, an expectation that's too high for my kids, you know, quit expecting them to be perfect. Quit expecting them to get it right every time. That's ridiculous. Nobody can do that, you know? So I wanted to give that good, good word to all the listeners as well, you know? All right. Let's talk about a third sort of topic that I think came from this experience. And that is the value of dedicated time with just a few of your kids, or in your case, one of your kids. Yes. You know, I didn't bring, I didn't bring Declan obviously on the trip. He's only three, but you didn't bring your older boys. You chose to only bring Seth Talk to me a little bit about why. Was that a good decision in hindsight? Did Seth enjoy it and appreciate it? Did you enjoy it and appreciate it? And what's the value of sometimes doing things with just one of your kids? Absolutely. I think there's huge value in that. I schedule into my week every week, one-on-one time with one of my kids. I have a goal uh, of scheduling one-on-one time with each kid every week. So right now it's one day a week, I get one kid. So there's dedicated one-on-one time that always happens once a month for every kid, but I would actually like to increase that to once a week. Um, so that's on my agenda. But anyway, there's such value in the one-on-one time because the kids are going to be, um, a different, they're going to behave differently. They're going to, you're going to create opportunities for just an experience together that you can't create when there's a, you know, in my case, a whole gang of four kids. Um, and you're going to create an intimacy and a relationship that just frankly can't get done when there's, you know, more than one. I do think there's value in taking multiple kids too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of times where I might take two kids out to do something or three kids out to do something. And then of course, there's always times where we go as a whole family. Um, but a, um, I I didn't take the older boys because, um, you know, our goal was to, to take the kids on a hike that was a little bit past their capacity. And so my older boys are older, stronger, you know, they've been on more hikes, they're more capable. And so I didn't take them because not that it wouldn't have provided any challenge for them. I'm sure it would have, I mean, it, you know, it's an 11 mile hike up a steep mountain, et cetera. Um, but I really wanted to make it two things. One, surrounded around Seth's 11th birthday. Traditionally, I take the boys on a, a big excursion when they're 13. And I wanted to start that a little earlier with Seth. I mean, why not? Take him, you know, it doesn't have to be, I don't have to wait until they're 13 to take them on a big weekend or week-long excursion. Let's start doing it a little bit now. So that was one of my agendas. 
And then secondly, I just wanted some quality one-on-one time with Seth. Now we were in a group environment with, you know, other men, other boys, but because Seth didn't previously know everybody that made it still, there's a level of it's me and him doing this thing in a group, you know what I mean? Versus his brothers are coming along too. So it changes the dynamic. Um, I don't know if, if, if you've ever had one kid gone from the family for a, you know, an event or something and like the birth order roles, like all of a sudden change, it's crazy. There's really something to it. Um, but Seth behaves as a, he behaves differently when it's just he and I, and he's got my full attention. You know, there's this level where he doesn't have to compete for my attention. Sometimes Seth competes for attention in a way that uh, we want to redirect or correct. You know, I don't want him to compete. I don't want him seeking attention through um, misbehavior. I don't want him seeking attention through conflict. Sometimes Seth is that third kid and he's going to throw a wrench in the gears to receive some attention. And we try to identify that. And I try to say to him, Hey son, if you're looking for a little of attention, there's better ways to receive that. And that would be through doing good and appropriate things that we want you to be behaving then you're going to receive my attention of a boy way to go versus trying to get to some attention through being difficult or through being disagreeable or for th- from throwing a wrench in the gears, you know, or from creating conflict. So I don't have to wrestle with that need for attention when I take Seth out on a, on a one-on-one adventure. And then again, he was, you know, the, I felt like the right age for this hike to be a little bit of a stretch for him. You know, it's a stretch of enough, that it was hard for him. He needed some encouragement. He needed some mental grit and some mental calibration. Um, and he needed that positive peer pressure from the other boys in order to be successful in the hike. So for all those reasons, that was very strategic and intentional approach for me to bring only Seth on the trip. And I know for you, um, for both of y'all, you know, other dads on the trip, Y'all had two sons. So, you know, talk to me about that. How was that in terms of doing something hard with both of your, you know, boys? Are you happy with how that turned out? Or you, you know, did it go like you hoped? It did. It was a great experience for both of them. I think this environment was was really good for having both Jackson and Ben because they were able to sort of space out. Jackson would sort of push to the front. Ben would maybe hang back. Then they'd sort of flip-flop. Yeah, there were obviously a few times where their interactions mirrored what you see at home, where Ben would push forward and Jackson would get mad because Jackson wanted to be the leader and Ben wants to be the leader now. And no, it's my turn. Dad, can you tell Jackson to let me go in the front? And, you know, so they're bickering and it's annoying. And I'm like, I just want to enjoy nature. Like, I just, yeah. I just kind of want to walk and talk with my friends. I do not want to have to deal with this. I deal with this. Six and a half days out of the week, can I just have like a half a day where I don't have to deal with this? And so it shows up, but I'd say there was less of it because they were having a fun experience. They had other boys to talk to. They had other fathers to talk to. And so I'd say there was a lot less of that than there otherwise might have been. And I will say 
their interactions on the way home afterwards was a lot of fun and debriefing. And you remember this happened and they were able to sort of talk in a positive way about all the fun things that they did together. And so it is important for brothers to obviously have shared experiences and positive things that they can talk about. And so from that standpoint, I think it was a very good experience for them, again, to file away in the back of their mind, hey, sometimes I hate you, sometimes you were, we're fighting. So, but remember when we climbed Mount Lacan, like that was a good day, right? Like we had fun together on that day. And so it was a it was a fun together type of experience for them. For sure. And I think too, I don't know if you've experienced this to be true in life, but to me, it seems like the bond that gets built through adversity is a much stronger bond than, you know, through just happy-go-lucky, gleeful times. And I think it's great for us to create appropriately sized situations of adversity for our kids to experience together to help form and build and deepen the bond, uh, you know, of siblinghood uh, through those adverse you know, challenges, so to speak. So I think there's definitely something to be said for that as well. All right. And finally, as we sort of wrap up this episode and, and, you know, I think this is actually a topic that may be deserving of a lot of time. So again, another topic we may revisit again in the future, but I did want to ask you about an interaction that I saw between you and Seth, because you were a little bit hobbled on the hike yourself. Yeah. So for the listeners who may not have listened to some of the earlier episodes about a month or so ago, I guess, Perry was in a minor motorcycle accident, if there is such a thing as a minor motorcycle accident, but he he's totally fine, but he banged up his knee a little bit. It had a few weeks to heal. He thought he was going to be okay, but it flared up on him a little bit on the hike. And I noticed it, you know, maybe he was hobbling just a little bit, and but fine, you know, Perry being Perry, I'll, I'll brag on him. Tough guy, not going to let on. All is fine. He'll be good. Uh, he's dealt with pain in the past. But his son, Seth, at some point noticed it. Yeah. And I heard him ask you about it. Dad, are you okay? Like, what's wrong? What's wrong with your knee? And and you sort of shrugged it off a little bit and basically said, eh, "Don't you know, I'll be fine, Seth. You know? So my question is, you know, what was your thought process around that? And is it okay sometimes to to let on and let our kids know that that we suffer every once in a while, that it's okay, and to sort of let down that veil of invincibility that I think sometimes our kids have. They they think we're superhuman a lot of times, especially at age eleven. But here he is seeing you hurting a little bit. Why not let him see you hurt? Sure. And and how did he sort of respond to seeing you struggling a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm excited to unpack that concept a little bit here. So he probably asked me 20 times on the way down, are you okay? Can I do anything for you? And this was actually really cool. Uh, Later in the truck, before he fell asleep, he said, dad, I I would have carried your pack for you. See, I love that. That reveals his heart, man. I I love that. that Beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, I told him, you know, of course I, gave him a big embrace and told him, thank you so much. You know, and I told him, I said, if I was hurting to the point where I needed you to carry my pack, I would have asked you, you know what I mean? And so it was really cool, but what a humbling experience for, you know, your 11 year old to see you struggling and, and say to you, well, dad, I would have carried your pack. Um, And I actually have experienced that with my oldest son. We go on backpacking trips annually around his birthday that started on his 13 year old coming of age trip. And he, on the last trip, we had to take turns with 
my backpack. He, I have a, had a big bulky backpack that was uncomfortable and he had a more streamlined, lightweight, you know, modern, um, backpack. And we spent some time on that trip trading packs because mine was brutally heavy and uncomfortable. And I was the weak link between the two of us on this backpacking trip. So that's a great way to eat some humble pie <laughs> that your 13, 14 year old is hiking you under the table, not because of injuries, just because of general fitness. Dang. But anyway, so Seth said that to me, that was really cool, but I do think it's appropriate to let our kids on that. Now there, there needs to be a dichotomy there. You know, you can't, you can't tell your kids your deepest struggles, you know, sure. in life spiritually or in your marriage or, you know, whatever. You can't let them in on um, the biggest challenges because guess what? They're children. They're not adults. They're not equipped to handle a, the deepest adult challenges of life. So we don't let them in on all those things, right? They'll experience that later in life. And maybe that's part of, you know, parenting adult kids. I haven't gotten to that stage of my life yet. Um, but I do think it is completely, perfectly appropriate at some point our kids are going to realize that we're not Superman. I remember vividly to this day, the moment that I realized that about my own father, I I remember he was carrying, this was in the house that I spent most of my childhood growing up in single level kind of farmhouse style house, nice, but nothing, you know, extravagant. And there was a there was an attic in the house and it had some fold down, you know, a fold down wooden um, ladder, you know, a trap door. You reach up, pull the string and the stairs unfold to come down. It's old, made of wood. I've got and visions I, of uh, Chevy Chase National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Have you seen that? <laughs> it's been a long time, but yes. Yeah, he, he pulls down on that and the ladder crashes down and hits him in the head. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this experience with my own father, I don't remember what age I was, but I was probably in that range, you know, of uh, late boyhood, you know, to early cowboy stage, you know, the double digits, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, maybe. And I remember him coming down the attic steps with like two five gallon buckets, you know, one in each hand. And I don't know what they were full of, but obviously it was something heavy. Maybe they're full of chains or you know, I don't know what they're full of. I can't remember that detail. But partway down the attic ladder, one of the steps just breaks in half and steps onto it. And he, his leg, you know, pigeonholes through and he comes tumbling down. The buckets of heavy things are just bang, like falling on him. He's like, I mean, he hits the ground hard, you know. And I, I was shocked. It was loud. There was a, you know, it was a big fall. Now, he wasn't injured from that. You know, he didn't sustain, like, go to the hospital injury. But I remember, to this day, looking at my dad's face and seeing the pain on his face, seeing some tears rolling down his cheeks, and it was like this, like, shell shock moment for me. Oh, my gosh, my dad is hurt. My dad's physically hurt right now. Like, little kid brain like you know he's not made of steel right you know you just these kids just think their dads are made of steel for some period of time and i distinctly remember that moment and you know i haven't thought about that moment in in a long time until you know sitting down thinking about the the podcast today 
And there's a certain level of, of maturity that happens in a boy's life when you realize your dad's not made of steel. Now, I think that we don't have to, we don't need to rush that moment, right? Like, I don't, we don't need to tell our two-year-old, we don't need to like, you know, run up to our two-year-olds if we, you know, cut our finger, you know, whatever, agonizing in pain. I think we let it happen organically and naturally, but I think we don't need to hide it. You don't need to cover that up. Just let it be. Let that moment be when it comes. Talk about it with your kids. Embrace it, you know. Um, and this might have been that moment for Seth and me today. He, he might have had it earlier. I'm not sure. Uh, not today, but on the hike, you know what I mean? But um, but yeah, he probably asked me 20 times, Dad, are you okay? Dad, can I do anything for you? And I wanted to, A, let him know that I was in significant pain because I was. We hiked 11 miles and my knees had not healed yet from that motorcycle crash. I thought they had. They hadn't hurt me in a couple of weeks. There was no ongoing recurring pain in my normal day-to-day activities, but hiking 11 miles up and down a mountain isn't part of my normal everyday activity. And so it flared up about three miles in and I knew like, okay, here we go. This is about to be pain cave for me. Yeah. I think for me, actually physically, the hike was probably more pain cave for me than it was for Seth. Yeah. You know? And I think it was okay for him to realize that. And I think that there's a lot of great things that can happen there. A, he gets to know that dad's not made of steel. B, I get the opportunity to say, yes, this is actually hurting me quite a bit right now, but I'm okay. But I can do hard things, but I can push through this hardship. And so I took the time in the moments of the hike that he would check in on me. Hey, dad, you're hobbling. It seems like you're hurt. Can, can I do anything for you? Thank you, son. Appreciate you noticing. I'm okay. I can, I can make it. I can do it. I'll be fine. And I think that there's an opportunity there for them to witness me, for Seth to witness me hurting and pushing through. Uh, and so we can, we can debrief in that, you know, and we can, we can share them. We can share that moment with them. We can share that insight with them. We can talk to them about that. And I think that helps them see and be able to, to rise to the occasion in their own lives when challenges happen, when hardship happens, to be able to push through. And so I think it's a, a great benefit that our kids can actually see us in the pain cave sometimes, actually see our uh, humanity um, when it's appropriate. You know, we got to share that with them at an appropriate level and they can grow from it. They can learn from it. They can benefit from it. We don't have to pretend like we're Superman for our kids because guess what? You're not, we're not Superman, you know? And that also allows us when appropriate to appeal to the actual Superman of the, of the universe, Yahweh, God himself, Jesus, um, you know, God, the father, we can, we can remind our kids that um, we, we are finite beings with brokennesses that we have to deal with, but there is a God who's infinite. There is a God who's capable. There is a God that we can lean into and rely on in, in challenging times. So there's a balance there, you know, training our kids to dig deep and find grit and push through. And then also at the same time, Hey, I'm, I'm really leaning into the Lord right now, Seth, you know, Hey, here's one thing you can do for me and say a little prayer for me that God would give me strength. You know, and I said that to him a couple of times. Yeah, man, just say a little prayer that God would give me some strength on this hike today. Cause it's, I'm having a hard time because of my injury, you know, that's not fully healed. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that or, or sharing that. And and you actually took the words right out of my mouth. I think that's also a huge lesson is that we are spiritual beings in a physical body that is temporary and that bodies break down, even if you're dad. Um, but but God is all powerful. And so, yeah, I appreciate the the balance that you're talking about. That's exactly right. And it requires a certain amount of humility as well uh, and growth in a man, because I think it's so easy as fathers and just men in general to posture as if we have it all together all the time in work, in finances, in our married life. It goes back to what you said at the very beginning about the facade we put on on social media. And there's a certain humility that must exist. And that comes from growth and prayer and leaning into the Lord to be willing to, to appear less than in any area of our lives, but especially with our kids. And so, so good for you for that. And, and, uh, appreciate you sharing that. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's, uh, (laughs) and, and we'll wrap up this episode, but in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, you know, it might be physical, but for me, it's like, it's sports. The first time one of my sons beats me at a game of pickup basketball, like, Ooh, cause I, that's what I remember is the first time I, I started to beat my dad in some things. Yeah. Man, I need yeah. to I need to keep my skills up to make sure that Jackson's <laughs> off at college before he can beat me one on one. The sad truth is he's probably like a year away from it. Wait a second, Dad's not Michael Jordan. Nope, Dad is not Michael Jordan. I've just been able to beat you because I'm like a foot and a half taller than you. Uh, so anyway, so that that's fun and, and a conversation we can revisit in the future. But uh, it's been fun talking with you about this debriefing uh, for the listeners. I hope you have have gleaned some things that you can apply in your own fatherhood journey. And I would just sort of leave everybody with this thought. One of the main things we talked about on the way home, and really in the, in the subsequent days, I remember it was a couple days later, even Jack, we're, we're literally driving home from, from school two days after the hike. And Jackson just out of the blue says, man, that, that hike was really fun. I didn't realize I even liked hiking. Uh, and it was just such a good day. It was just so much fun. And so my encouragement to men out there is to be intentional about creating situations where you at least have the chance for creating memories. I've also found, as I'm sure you guys have as well, that sometimes you have the greatest of expectations. You try to plan something. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to create memories with my family. And then it's just sort of a dud or nothing spectacular happens or like it wasn't the home run you thought it was going to be. This was one of those home runs, at least for me, at least in our family. I I talk to my kids a lot. Uh, Also, the other day, Jackson was asking me, he he asks deep questions sometimes. He's more of an introvert and like he doesn't say anything for weeks, it seems like. And then all of a sudden, he'll just drop these, these profound questions or these truth bombs or whatever. He's like, Dad, if you could relive any day in your life, what day would you relive? <laughs> wow, no way. He's like, or maybe a year. Like, what year would you go back and relive? And he's 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 wanting to know me. And so I had to really think of it. And we had an interesting conversation about that and, and so forth. But I was just sort of reflecting on this. And I was thinking, this might be one of those days. Like, it was a cool day. I would relive that day in a heartbeat. Everything about it. Just the fun, the adventure, the the beautiful colors, the weather, the breathing, you know, God's clean, fresh air, just having that experience with them. And so, you know, I would just, I would just say, create environments and situations. And and it's hard, you know, Perry's talking about having one-on-one time with his kids, like every week, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't even have time to brush my teeth every day. Like how in the world are you having one-on-one time with your kids every single week? Right. But this was something that I months ago said, you know what, I am getting something on the calendar. 
Yes. I don't even have the ability to get something on the calendar next week, the week after. I've got to look at late October, but this is going on the calendar. And then I had months to get excited about it and think about it and plan for it and tell my kids about it. And they can't anticipate. It's not once a month. It's not even once a week. Would I like to do things like this every weekend with my kids? Of course. But I also acknowledge the time limitations of life sometimes. But so my encouragement would just be maybe once a quarter, maybe even just once a freaking year, like next summer already. Think about what's something. And it doesn't have to be huge. We didn't spend a lot of money on this trip other than gas money. You know, we just drove into the woods and hiked up a mountain. But like, Anyway, just think about that because this is one of those days worth reliving. I hope you felt the same way, Perry, with with you and your son. And uh, and just that's my encouragement to the listeners because it's easier than my, you might think if you're intentional about it. That's exactly right. And it was a fantastic success of a day for us. And I want to piggyback on what you're saying. Putting it on the calendar, is that's the key. I literally write in the calendar on my week, okay, I'm going to spend – some QT time or some quality time. We call it date day, date lunch or date breakfast, whatever with this child. It's okay. It's Ruby's week and it doesn't have to be something huge. Last week, Ruby and I, while we took Seth to Royal ambassadors, it's a little group that he does. And Ruby and I went off on a little quick mini date while Seth was at Royal ambassadors. This is what we did for our date. We climbed a tree together that was really, it's a huge tree. It's like 40 feet tall. It's at, on the courthouse lawn in our town. And we climbed like maybe 20 feet up in this tree and just hung out. And we looked around, climbed up the branches, did something that was a little bit hard and challenging for her, a little scary, but yet fun. And uh, then we went and got ice cream on Main Street. And then we went and played tag with each other at the park. And then we went back and picked up Seth. What a great day. What a, yeah. I mean, like that's huge, right? You just got to think about like what would be fun for the kids. It doesn't have to be hiking Mount LeConte, you know, every week or even, you know, every quarter. It can just be something really small and special. Let's go climb a tree together. Let's play tag. Let's play hide and seek. You know, let's go get an ice cream. Let's go get a smoothie, you know. Whatever it can be, it doesn't have to be massive. The point is that you are making intentional one-on-one time for your each individual kid, and you can do it. Um, if I can do it, you can do it. There's no doubt about that. You know, so be encouraged, brothers. Be encouraged, men. That that you can you can do this. You can put that time on the calendar. Don't overthink it. Just put it on the calendar and go try something. Some of our dates are failures. They they weren't they weren't home runs. You know. And some of them turn out to be great, but whatever. We're just making sure that we do it on a regular basis. Um, and that's what counts, you know. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate you. Appreciate the listeners. And as I sign off, I will fully acknowledge that I do brush my teeth every single day. So don't don't be don't be worried about me. But uh, we'll be very intentional this week about trying to do some one on one stuff with my kids. Hope that you do as well. And we have a lot of really interesting topics and guests lined up here on the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. So click that follow button. Make sure you're tuned in uh, and join us next time. We will talk with you again soon. Take care, everyone. Oh,